Well, to those of you that are over in the venue watching us online or those of you today, if you could pull out your outlines right now, uh, right in the middle, we have one, uh, we slid in there. And also, if you could open up your Bibles to John chapter 19, we will get there here in just a little bit. I want to start this morning with a story of two men um, who had been out on a business trip of all business trips. In fact, this night, the, the, the final night of their little trip, they indulged in every sinful activity that you could ever imagine. And as they're headed back to the airport, one man looks to the other man and he says, I bet you $100 that you wouldn't go into that cathedral over there and confess all that we did last night. The other man looks at him and says, for a hundred bucks, I'm all over that. That's easy money. So he says, let's go over there and I will do exactly that. So confidently, as they pull up to this cathedral, the man walks right into the cathedral, walks into the confessional booth. He doesn't want to kneel. He just sits down in his arrogance and he says, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And he goes into deliberate detail of all of the escapades that they had done the night before. The priest who was sitting there uh, realized and was perceptive and was able to discern the insincerity of this man's confession. And so he says, son, your penance will be to walk in front of the cathedral, to kneel before the life-size statue of Jesus dying on the cross. And I want you to look into the suffering face of the Savior. And I want you to say, Jesus, all this you did for me, and I couldn't care less. So the man comes laughing out of the confessional booth, walks right up to his buddy, and he says, give me my hundred dollars. I won our bet. But the friend says, no, you haven't earned that hundred dollars yet. You need to go and carry out whatever it was that the priest told you to do. So the man says, for a hundred bucks, sure, I'll do anything. So he marches himself to the very front of the the cathedral, and he walks up to that life-size statue of Jesus on a cross, and flippantly he looks up and he says, Jesus, all this you did for me and I. And just then in that moment, the teachings of his childhood, God's word that had been stored up in his heart started to penetrate up and seep out as John 3.16 just came to his mind, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the man, as he's standing there and emotions are starting to work, he says, no, I want that hundred dollars. So he pushes those emotions down. He pushes God's word aside and he clears his throat again. And he looks up at that statue one more time. And he says, Lord Jesus, all this you did for me. And in that moment, he bursts into tears. And they start to roll down his face. And he repented of his actions. Because it's at the cross that sinners are convicted. It's where the arrogant are humbled. Where the hardened hearts are opened wide open and broken. It's where the skeptics are convinced, where the weak are strengthened, and where the repentant are forgiven. Max Lucado, in his book, No Wonder They Call Him Savior, says this of the cross. He says, the cross rests on the timeline of history like a compelling diamond. 
Its tragedy summons all sufferers. Its absurdity attracts all cynics. Its hope lures all searchers. The cross. History has idolized it and despised it. Have gold-plated it and burned it. Have worn it and have trashed it. History has done everything it can do to it, but ignore it. Because that's the one option, the one option that the cross does not offer. No one can ignore the cross. You can't ignore a piece of lumber that suspends the greatest claim in human history. A crucified carpenter claiming that he is God on earth, that he is divine, that he is eternal. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, wrote this about the cross. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I love how he says there, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is so, so true. I mean, for us in modern day American as, America as Christians who have been given the privilege to read God's love letter to us, a crucified Savior doesn't sound so foreign to us. But yet in the Jews in Paul's day, it was a total contradiction of terms. It's as if I was to tell you, can I get some icy hot flames or some hot ice? It would be like today getting ready for the Super Bowl. If you were to call the local pizza place and say, can I get a small, large pizza? Or better yet, why don't you send me over one of those meat lover vegetarian pizzas? A crucified Messiah defied all Jewish reasoning. Every hope that they had in the Messiah was for a strong, mighty king who would come to defeat their enemies. They wanted a powerful, conquering hero. Instead, they got what could be considered a stumbling block in their eyes. Yes, to the mind of the Jewish, the cross was a contradiction. To the mind of the Romans, a crucified God was just plain ridiculous. Understand, many people today can and do stand before the cross and are totally indifferent. But to those of us that are Christians, we've experienced exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, that in the cross is the power of our God. We know that it is at the cross that our sins are forgiven, that our attitudes are transformed, that death is defeated and our hope comes alive. It's at the foot of the cross that our lives begin to change. The cross is the power of God. It's the heart of the gospel message, and the cross still impacts lives in 2016. When Jesus Christ's story is shared, it draws people together. When the significance of the cross is explained, lives are forever changed. The impact of the cross brings people to salvation. The impact of the cross is igniting a fire in God's people for their lives through Jesus Christ and his church. 
Those people are becoming real, alive, sold out, transformed, light-bearing, soul-saving, hope-giving, life-giving, prayer-believing, Bible-toting, scripture-quoting, truth-sharing, sin-hating, God-loving, Jesus-lifting, Satan-crushing believers. Friend, when we acknowledge the power of the Christ who overcame the cross, lives are forever changed. Your families are forever changed. And generations to come will be impacted. Yet, when we take that step back, when we remove ourselves from the comfortable existence of what church can be on a Sunday morning, and we look at Scripture and how Scripture recorded the events of 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified, we see how so many, the soldiers in particular, were unmoved by the power of the cross. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you would turn with me to John chapter 19, we're going to be reading verses 23 and 24. We'll put it up on the screen. You can read it on your outline as well. Listen to what God's Word says. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldier did these things. Try to picture that scene for just a moment. These men, these soldiers were witnessing the most significant event in all of history. Yet it passed them by. They missed it because they were so busy looking down, throwing dice, rather than looking up and beholding the Christ. What a tragedy to be so close to the cross, but so far from Christ. I mean, these guys literally were touching the very Son of God, but they didn't allow Him to touch their hearts. And what we will discover together today is that the reason that these men were unmoved by the cross is so similar to the reason why people in 2016 are not moved by the cross either. If you are taking notes, the first fill-in on your outline is one of the reasons why the Roman soldiers were unmoved by the cross because, was because of a sense of familiarity. See, in this time, crucifixions were routine to these men. It was the Roman form of the electric chair. It was the means by which criminals paid the ultimate penalty for their crime. Crucifixion was a form of execution that the Romans learned from the Persians years earlier. By the time of Christ, crucifixion had become the favorite method of exec execution throughout the Roman Empire, especially in Judea, and where it was regularly used to make an example of rioters and insurrectionists. According to Josephus, after Herod the Great died, the Roman governor of Syria crucified 2,000 men in order to quell an uprising. By the time of Christ, Rome had already crucified over 30,000 people in and around Judea. Skip Gray in his book, The Way of the Cross, says this, 
Christian tradition tells us that around the time when Jesus was a teenager, there was a rebellion near where he lived. The Roman army crushed the rebellion, but they didn't want to have it happen again. So they crucified an Israelite every 10 meters for a distance of 16 kilometers. The sight of some 1,700 people dead or dying on crosses spaced out every 30 feet for a distance of 10 miles had to have made an incredible impression on those that were living at that time. So you have to see these soldiers that were there at the foot of the cross had probably performed so many crucifixions that to them, it was nothing new. It was methodical. It was their job. It's what they did for a living. Their hearts had become numb. They were just used to it. Just another day at the office for them. Yeah, they probably heard the screams and the cries for mercy, but they had learned how to tune it out and move on. For them, all they wanted to do was get done, go home, and eat dinner. And here is my fear for so many American Christians today, is that the cross, that the cross has lost its impact because of its familiarity. We see crosses all over the place. We see them on buildings. We see them on tombstones. We see them on t-shirts. People wear them around their necks. And it's really amazing when you think about it that the, the instrument of execution in the first century has become a modern-day fashion symbol. But understand this. There is a major difference between displaying the cross and being transformed by the cross. The law of familiarity says that no matter how valuable, given enough time, Everything will be taken for granted. I'm not sure how you've seen that played out in your life. Maybe you've seen it with your spouse or your kids or your parents, your work, your home life, maybe even your church. In the same way, it's possible for church Christians to attend church regularly but no longer be moved by the power of the cross because it's lost its significance. It's just too familiar. How often do you walk into this place Sunday after Sunday and don't even necessarily notice the cross is there for it's become more of a decoration or a background than something significant or certainly meaning something significant in your heart. Maybe you've reached the point in your life where you can come to a place like this, you can sing worship songs, you can raise your hands in the air without ever allowing those words that are coming out of your mouth to penetrate 12 inches to your heart. And you've never allowed them to truly impact your life the way that they might have years before. Did you know that in 2016, there are churches in an effort to reach unchurched people that have gone so far as to remove the cross from their buildings or their worship center, to take the cross off of any literature because they don't want to offend anyone. Friends, the cross might be offensive, but it was through the cross that our sins were ever forgiven. 
Listen to what one liberal seminary professor says. He says, we don't need a Jesus dying on a cross and other weird stuff like that in our churches. That's being taught in some of our seminaries to pastors. But understand this, my friends. To take away the cross is to take away our hope. It's to leave us without the only path that will take us back home to Jesus. I read this example about years ago. Edward I was the king of England, and his wife, Queen Eleanor, was in the northern part of the country when she passed away. King Edward made the long journey from the northern part all the way back to London, and in those days, it wasn't like it would be today. It took a long time. And so at every step along the way of that journey, King Edward would erect a cross, marking the journey from where she died to then back to London. And finally, when he got to London, he erected a giant cross, which is known as the Charing Cross. Many years later, there was a little girl who wandered away from home and got lost. A policeman found her sobbing and attempted to try to comfort this girl. And he started to name off different famous places where maybe her home could be near. Finally, he named the Charing Cross and listened to what happens with the little girl. Her eyes light up, a smile comes on her face, and she says, Oh, yes, I know where the Charing Cross is. Mister, take me to the cross, and I can find my way home. That's my prayer for you as well. That at the foot of the cross, you can find your way home as well. But friend... Has the cross become so familiar to you that you're no longer moved by it? Have you become like the soldiers in Jesus' day where you've lost the significance and the power of Christ on the cross and the victory on Calvary's hill? Friends, we cannot allow our hearts to become calloused with indifference just because we have seen or heard or even sung early today, earlier today about the cross so many times. I love what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 3, verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So one more time, can I step on your feet and ask you, has your heart become hardened to the cross? There's a second contributing factor to the soldier's indifference. They were unmoved by the cross because of their prejudice against God's people. You see, the Romans hated the Jews and the feelings were mutual. The Jews hated the Romans because they oppressed them. Let's think about the Jewish people for just a minute. They were a proud, independent people that were miserable under the Roman oppression. History records that some Jewish zealots would literally keep a knife under their outer coat so that when they were in a crowded place, they could slice some of the Roman guards as a way of them kind of getting their aggression out towards them. On the other hand, the Roman soldiers, they hated to be have to be stationed in Palestine. The religious restrictions, the racial prejudice, the religious, the rebellious populace made it one of their least favorite assignments. So when one of their superiors would come to them and say, we have this Jewish rebel here, we want you to go and torture him and crucify him. Those guards relished in the opportunity. 
That's why they hit Jesus. That's why they mocked him with a robe. That's why they put a crown of thorns on him. That's why they spit on him. That's why they kicked him. They hated the Jews. I can remember back when I was younger and seeing on the news a a picture of an American soldier who had been captured in Somalia. And this American soldier had been captured, he had been beaten, and he literally was drugged through the streets of Somalia. The picture in my mind is so vivid from years ago. Those who murdered our soldier, they didn't know who he was. They didn't know if he was married or if he had kids or if he was an only child to a mom and a dad. They knew nothing about him. What they knew is this soldier represented an American that they hated, and he became their scapegoat. Likewise, the Roman soldiers beat on Jesus because he was a convenient target for their frustration and their hatred of the Jewish people. That's why in that moment, they couldn't even have fathomed that a God, the Messiah, would come and would be on that Christ cross in their presence because their prejudice didn't allow them to see beyond the people they didn't like. And understand this, my friends. People today are still unmoved by the power of the cross for the exact same reason. They are prejudiced against the people of God. They are prejudiced against you, and they are prejudiced against me. And maybe that's you here today that you've been pushed off by people from the church. Uh, Maybe you've had something said by a Christian leader or a church offended you. And maybe even a pastor had said something to you that completely pushed you off. And as a result, you keep yourself an arm's distance away from that cross because those people of God were not who they said they were. Maybe you're unmoved by the cross because of your personal experience. Perhaps maybe for you it was a family member, and it was just their sheer hypocrisy. On a Sunday morning, they would put on their Sunday best. They would get themselves all dressed up, and they would speak about grace in a congregation like this. But you knew they never lived in such a way. They talked about love, but they never showed signs like that, because really they showed signs of hate. They could easily recite, forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Yet you knew their heart was full of bitterness and unforgiveness. In a congregation like this, they would raise their hands and they would sing of the joy that God gives them. But yet if anyone tried to express any joy or excitement, they were the first to point their finger and chastise you. Perhaps... You're sitting here today, and you're unmoved by the cross because of hypocritical, joyless, legalistic, mean-spirited people of God. Listen to what the atheist philosopher Frederick Nietzsche says when he was asked why he was so negative to Christians. He replied, I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little bit more like people who had been saved. Today, my friend, if that is you that are here, can I ask you to see beyond the hypocritical, imperfect followers of Christ and see Christ himself? If you have been hurt by a Christ follower, by a church leader, or even a pastor, today can I humbly stand before you on their behalf and apologize? 
with the utmost of care and sympathy in my heart. Can I ask you to look past those people or that person that hurt you and see the one person, the one person that will never leave you nor forsake you. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Today, don't allow the sin of another to keep you from the power of the cross. But let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Today, will you fix your eyes on Jesus and not on the people that are bad representatives of him? And let me just take a step off for just a second. Maybe there are some of you here today that when you hear me describe those hypocritical, joyless Christians, if you were honest with yourself, maybe you would have to acknowledge that that's you. Maybe you would have to acknowledge that you put on a good, happy Christian face when you come to church on Sunday, but really you're a bitter person and you're pushing everyone around you away. Friend, if that's you, first of all, I want to challenge you to take all of that and lay it at the foot of the cross and allow our good God to do some work in and through you. And if you're one of those people, maybe you've pushed somebody off. Maybe it's your children or your grandchildren or a friend that because of your uh, legalistic righteousness, you've pushed them off from Christendom, then maybe you need to go to them. And with the most sincerity and love, sit down with them and say, if I have hindered your relationship with God, I'm sorry. My heart breaks for my actions, but I want to help you to come to know Jesus in the way that I'm coming to know him today. See, the soldiers in Jesus' day and the people today are unmoved by the cross because of familiarity, because of a prejudice against the people of God. And finally, the last fill-in that I have for your outline today is because of material things. Let's put ourselves in the scene again. The soldiers are huddled in a circle. Their eyes are downward. They're so worried about what they're going to get. They have a complete disregard for what's going on on these crosses behind them. Scripture records that when they crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they split it up amongst them. But his tunic, they were going to go and roll and cast dice for it. Listen to what it says. It says, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. Most typically, casting lots in Jesus' day would have been like throwing dice. It's as if in this moment they were playing Yahtzee or craps to see who would get Jesus' underwear. But have you ever imagined what it must have been like from Jesus' perspective? As Jesus hung on that cross and he looked down past his bloody feet at this circle of gamblers, what do you think went through his mind? How do you think that broke his heart. I mean, he had to have been amazed. Here are common soldiers witnessing the most uncommon event, and they don't even know it. They're not even concerned. It's just another Friday morning, and it's just another criminal. 
In my mind's eye, as I picture it, I see these guys so close to one another. It's almost like they're pushing each other, fighting, trying to get the dice to see who's going to win that because they want to get something for free. The soldiers are so close to the cross, but so far from the Christ. They didn't mind hitting Jesus. They didn't mind torturing him, but his clothes. To get something for me? No way. I'm not going to miss out on that one. And they missed out as a result on the Savior of the world. And so many people today, maybe even some of you here in this room, are not moved by the cross, are not moved by Christ, because you're so busy looking down at the things of this world. You're so busy looking at the things that our world says is important. Need, wealth, power, possessions, fame, glory, pleasure, popularity, thrills, success, status. You're so worried about making sure everybody else thinks you're the greatest person in the world that you've missed out on the greatest relationship that you could ever have. Or maybe you're so busy looking at your communication device that you've missed out on hearing the still, soft voice of the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart and into your life. Have you ever heard the saying that if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy? See, it's hard to focus in on Christ when we're so busy focused in on the things of this world. So whether this is your first time that you've ever heard about the cross, or if you've been hearing about the cross for some of you decades upon decades, maybe today is your time to be moved by the power of the cross for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Friend, maybe it's time for you to take your eyes off of the things of this world and put them on the cross of Christ, to look up and to see how God demonstrated his love for you and how he demonstrated his love for me. For while we were yet sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die for us to not make the things of this world too important. This world and its desires will pass away. There will be a new iPhone that will come out one day. And as followers of Christ, we need to focus on the eternal, to fix our eyes what matters most, the victory of the cross. I think this illustration puts it away so clearly for me. Legendary basketball coach of UNL, UCLA, John Wooden, was once asked why he was able to concentrate and remain so calm amidst the pressure of all of the games he coached. And Coach Wooded, with a grin on his face, replied to that question. And he says, well, I carry a cross in my pocket. And when things get difficult and crazy in the game, I reach into my pocket and I feel that cross. And it reminds me that there is something so much more important than basketball. The Apostle Paul says it this way. For I, delivered you of, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. So friend, my challenge to you this morning is of first importance. Would you look at that cross again? Would you look at the significance of what that cross stands for? Will you look beyond the familiarity of the cross? Would you look past your past hurts or prejudices against God's people? 
Would you see beyond what our world says is the most important? And would you look and see that Jesus died for you? That Jesus died for all of your sins that you would ever, ever do. Because he loved you that much. Friends, let's not be like the soldiers at the cross and miss out on literally the most selfless act ever recorded in human history accomplished on a cross. Today, as we continue our time together of worship, we're going to take part in celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper. And just by being unmoved by the power of the cross, I think at times we can also be unmoved by the significance of the Lord's Supper. It's as if we receive the elements and we just kind of do it. We just kind of take part because that's just what we do. But this morning, as your pastor and as your friend, I want to challenge you to push past familiarity and allow God to do something in your heart as we get right with him. And as we receive the elements this morning, as you look at that wafer, that bread that signifies Jesus' body that was given for you, as you look at that cup, as you look at that cup representing Jesus' innocent blood shed for your and my sins, will you really grapple? Will you really wrestle with the significance of those elements this morning? Today, as we take part in the Lord's Supper, this table is open to anyone who considers yourself a Christ follower. It's not a First Baptist only type of thing. If you have given your life over to Christ and you truly believe he is your Lord and Savior, that when we receive the elements, please, please take part. If this morning this is your, you're coming here and you're just checking out this God thing, you're not quite sure about all of it, first of all, let me tell you, I'm so glad that you're here. It's no accident that you would be here of any Sunday. Um, but if you're not ready to take a step and, and really make a, a, a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask you today just to allow this to go right by you. Um, this is a time for the family of God. But maybe you're sitting here today and, and God's just stirring in you. Our God works in amazing ways and maybe he's just stirring in with you, in you an amazing way. Maybe it's time for you today to give your life over to Jesus. And if that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Um, but I can think of no better way, no better way to celebrate a, a decision like that than to partake with your new brothers and sisters in the Lord's Supper. So will you join me in prayer this morning? Father, as I think about the cross, it's humbling, absolutely humbling, God, that you would care about every single one of us in this room so much that you would allow your one and only son to die an agonizing and horrific death on a cross as a blameless offering for all the dumb, stupid things that we've done. God, that you would love us so much that you would give your son as an offering so that we could be blameless in your sight. But yet, Father, in our arrogance, in our, our just selfishness, We've allowed the cross and what it signifies and the significance of the gospel to become so familiar to us that it's lost its power in our lives. And so, Father, for those friends of mine that are here today 
who the cross has become so familiar, God, I pray that just as Derek shared earlier today, that that image of the cross will just be so visual to them right now in this moment, that it will be so significant to them that, God, you will break through right now in this moment the walls that they have built between you and them that have allowed familiarity to keep them from truly worshiping you. And just the same, Father, for those that are here today that, God, have been hurt by church people, that have been hurt in their past, God, I pray that you will heal those wounds, and I pray that you will heal those wounds in Jesus' name today. That, God, they won't have to walk anymore with those hurts, and yet, God, they can leave those at the foot of the cross because that's where the victory was won. And, Father, for those that, God, the world is just pulling at them, that more, 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 or whatever it is that our world is saying, God, that you will just remove those distractions for these coming minutes. And not just for minutes, but for days and weeks and years to come. So that, God, we can focus on the significance of the Christ Savior. And, God, instead of having our eyes down where we miss what you're doing, God, we can have our hearts and our minds open to an eternal perspective. For those of you, maybe you're here today and God is stirring within you to make that decision to follow after Jesus. It's no accident that you are here today. And and if God is just stirring within you, I want to challenge you in just a moment. Whether you want to say these words with me out loud or in the silence of your heart, it really doesn't matter. What matters is your heart posture right now. And will you just join me in saying, God, it's no accident you brought me here today. God, I I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be at the center of everything that's going on in my life. It doesn't all make sense to me. I, I feel like I don't get it all in my mind, but in my heart, you're telling me to go and I'm going, God. Jesus, will you be my Lord? Jesus, will you remove the sins of my life? Jesus, will you make me new from the inside out? If you said something like that or just with me in the silence of your heart, um, I want to welcome you today to the kingdom of God. And right now in heaven, the angels are celebrating. They are celebrating for you who have given your life over to Jesus. And if that's you, I'd love if you come to talk to me after the service today or Derek, anyone on the platform, or even the friend that brought you. We'd love to be able to help you in your relationship with God and take some steps in understanding and knowing more about him. But even now, for all of you that are here, in these coming moments as as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, do some business with God. Take whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whether it's unrepentant sin, a hardened heart, or, or even a great heart of worship. Put it at the foot of the cross and worship God like you haven't in a while. May this time be a healing time for you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. All God's people said, amen.